Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Well, it's so exciting, this topic, understanding who Jesus really is. Um, If you've been in one of the services already today, you'll know at the end of the service, um, I put a slide up which shows some statistics about what people think. And there's a high percentage of our population have no idea who Jesus is. They don't even know that he was a man, that he lived. They just don't know who he is. And you may think, oh, well, that, that can't be true. But this independent research uh, conducted by uh, proper independent research people have, have discovered that in Britain, a high percentage of the population would claim to know Jesus or, or, or claim to be Christians, should I say, but have no working knowledge of who he is. Um, in fact, the, the, um, the Talking Jesus research said that 57% of people in England um, would call themselves Christians, but only 9% actually are involved in a spiritual behavior, i.e. going to church. Um, 40% of the population doesn't realize that Jesus actually existed or lived. That means in Britain, and you know, we know who we are in the world. Britain is an informed, intelligent, um, politically astute, uh, militarily strong uh, government and nation. You know, we've got a lot going for ourselves in Britain, but four, uh, 26 million people in Britain don't realize that Jesus was real and actually existed. That's mind-blowing. You know, it's mind-blowing. And, and so today, as we look at this series, and the reason we're in this series, the, the I Am series, we're exploring the seven I Ams that Jesus made statements about. He said, I am, and he made seven strong statements in the book of John. And we're on week five now, and looking at his statement, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as we run up to Easter, two weeks away from Easter, this is a, a, a fulcrum point. If people don't believe that Jesus is the way to the Father, then they're basically saying that he's lying. He, he's not telling the truth. And he isn't the source of life. It, it's that brutal. The reality is if Jesus was just a good guy, a prophet who may or may not have existed, then all the stuff we read about him in the Bible can't be true. So we're r- running out and, and destroying a whole load of um, information that does all hang together and tells us the truth of who he really is. But before we get into that, I want to know if anybody in this room has ever had any trouble. It's just three of us, is it? (laughs) Yeah. Who's had lots of trouble? Who's still in lots of trouble? (laughs) Who's had a lot of trouble last week? Who's had a lot of trouble this week? Who's had a lot of trouble today? Yeah, come on. Who's sitting next to the biggest cause of trouble in their life? (laughs) I tell you, it's true. It's true. It's your fault. Life would be okay if it wasn't for him or her. Um, Anyway, let's not blame each other. So trouble. Trouble follows people. That's what I would say. Yeah. Anyway, I get into trouble a lot when I preach in this church. I get into trouble. Last week, I got into trouble with my team. <laughs> a couple of weeks before that, I got into trouble. The trouble is, I'm, I'm, I just love Jesus, right? I just love him with all my heart, and therefore he gives me permission. <laughs> it's not true. We, um, you know, it's like when you're with your friends, you have a lot of fun, and sometimes people don't realize that you can have fun in church. And sometimes, anyway, I'm going to dig a big hole if I, I stop talking. But um, we thank God that being a Christian is a great 
fun experience. But there's some hard-nosed fact about Christianity and Christian faith and who Jesus is. If he lived, if he existed, then we've got to listen to what he said about himself. Not about what your friends say about him. Not about what your parents say about him. Not what people think about church. Forget church. He, Jesus talked all about the kingdom of God. He didn't talk about going to church. He said, come to me. I am the gate to my kingdom. And that's what we've read about in this series. And if you want to hear any of these other messages from the various members of our team, then look at the podcast, listen to the podcast. Um, so when we talk about this topic, John 13 starts to set the stage, the book of John. And you may remember the Last Supper. This is an old-fashioned picture. There's not very many modern pictures of it. But anyway, it's a, it's a picture of John 13. It says that he, he was, it was um, Passover, and there was a, the, the Jewish festival of Passover. The, the disciples were with Jesus in the upper room. And in the meal, during the meal, he gets off his chair, his seat, and gets a bowl of water. It says he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the character of Jesus. How many people in your life have ever washed your feet? I bet you you'd struggle to find a single person in this room that have ever had that experience. But Jesus, who called himself the Messiah, who was known as the Messiah, um, had chose to do that to his friends, with his friends, to wash their feet. Why? He was showing that in his greatness, he could be humble and he cared deeply about the people around him. His level of commitment to you and me is massive. You know, it's massive. Uh, some people have trouble because people let them down. They get betrayed by people. Jesus experienced betrayal. And right after he washed his disciples' feet, the next little episode in John 13 is that he was deeply troubled, it says, because he knew that one amongst them was going to betray him. And of course, that was Judas. But you may have experienced betrayal. You may have given your heart to someone, whether you're a man or woman or a child. You may have trusted someone with all your heart. You've put the most fragile thing in your life into the hands of somebody else. And they not only took advantage of you, they abused that trust. Uh, they may, you may have been married for years and, and then, or for a number of years and your husband left you or your wife left you or, or something, you, know, you were let down massively by a parent or maybe you never knew your parents. You know, there's a huge pain space in our lives sometimes to do with this thing of trust. And Jesus was in deep dis uh, despair, really, because of what he knew was going on. And anyway, he goes on, he talks in John 13 about uh, a new commandment I've got for you, that you should love one another. So despite the betrayal, he says you should still love. That's one of the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God. That is the great commandment with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And Jesus lived that as a person. And yet we know from Scripture that Jesus is also God. How is that possible? Well, we can find out about it in the Scriptures. But, you know, he also communicated with the, the, the apostles, the disciples with him in that upper room. They had no idea that within a few days he would be physically dead. They, did, they had no idea that his body would physically die, that he would give his life at Easter, what we now call Easter. They, had no, they didn't know what Easter was. Easter was nothing. They had never experienced Easter. There was no such thing in, in his Jewish custom. They just didn't know what was going to happen. And in this setting, um, Jesus 
just shows them that he's going to leave them. And they become, if you like, in, um, in, in, in despair. And they start to realize something's about to happen. But what is it? Anyway, so we pick up the story now in John 14. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. You know, I think trust is the most difficult thing for people to give to anybody in life, actually. One, if not the most, it's certainly one of the most. Because people get betrayed. Um, you see it in workplaces, you see it in careers, you see it in home life, you see it. People get betrayed. and um, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And then God says, Jesus says, put your trust in me and, uh, and, and in God and trust in me also. Verse 2, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I don't know why he talks about this, this sort of mansion in heaven concept, but he's basically saying there is going to be a place where you live for eternity. It's not just your experience on earth. There's an eternity. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I, I believe that that Jesus not only made this statement about that point in time in the upper room with those men who later wrote all about him. In fact, the Bible is a collection of letters and books and, and effectively accounts from first-hand witnesses to these events. So when you read the book of Acts and you read the letters, the epistles, and some of the other letters from those that followed, they're giving personal account for what they saw and witnessed and experienced. And these disciples were in this room. This isn't Disney. This isn't a TV sitcom. This is men witnessing, testifying to what they saw. And the book of John also is a testimony of what happened at this time. And it says that I'm going to prepare a place for you. One of God's massive agendas in life is not only to prepare an eternal place for you, and that place exists already, right? There's a house, there's a, it's a picture really. There's room in my father's house. It's a picture of eternity in heaven. And Jesus has gone ahead to prepare for us. But the nature spiritually of who Jesus is, is that he's preparing for us right now as we walk in life. Every man, woman and child on this earth has the potential opportunity of experiencing God's preparation in their life for the future and for their day ahead. He's got it. That's, what he, that's, part of the, the amaz- that's why he's able to, to kneel at their feet and wash their f- feet. And how he's able to say, put your trust in me. Because he's, he's working on stuff for us. But this whole narrative this morning is about the way, the truth, and the life. And what's important in that is this. When everything is ready, Jesus said, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know uh, the way to where I'm going. Number five. Um, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. There is no way to know your Creator except through Christ. There is no religion on this earth that can satisfy and provide guidance. So the nonsense that says there are multiple ways to God is a lie. It is not true. Because if we believe who Jesus is and who he said he was, he made it very clear. No one can come to the Father except through me. He, by his virtuous nature, has making the point he is the only way. Now, if that offends you, I'm telling you this is what the Scriptures tell us. But then we put the practice of knowing Christ 
into our lives, we start to see that his preparation is happening immediately. So as we come to Christ, as we, we give our hearts to Christ, as we surrender, as we follow him, and as we choose to get baptised, and as we live for him, we realise he's preparing everything. And as a church, it's not difficult in many ways leading church because Jesus is preparing us this stuff for us you know we're doing three services on a Sunday morning occasionally we'll do a fourth service on a Sunday we're going to be at the Churchill Theatre with seven or eight hundred seats to bring all the services together and some other friends will come along in May why is all that happening it's not because I've got an agenda or that the leadership in here are trying to make something happen that should it's because Jesus is preparing this church for a purpose that's way bigger than we currently experience. He's got a plan that is so much more comprehensive and and intentional than even we realise. That's why each week when we come in and we chat about things and we look at what's going on, I hear amazing testimonies of people seeing answers to prayer, some healings from time to time. God is rescuing people from sadness and misery and, and helping people reset their identities. This church is alive with the evidence and proof of the existence of Jesus Christ in all its many ways and shapes and forms. And that's how we know. We know it through practice and experience. God is preparing and he says, I am the only way. But we need to ask some questions in order to find our way. We need to ask three simple questions. We need to ask firstly the important question, what's going on? (laughs) Who is this Jesus? Where is he going? Why is he going? The ba- Thomas asked the question. He said, I have no idea where you're going. And he spent three years with Jesus. That shows to me that you can spend your whole life in church and have not a clue about what Jesus is doing because you just did it religiously. You just did it because it, uh, it made you feel good. And Now, we know there was more to Thomas than this. We know he was a bit of a cynic as well. But we, we, know, that, we know that his trust was in Jesus. He just didn't understand. And it's not wrong to not understand. And there are many people that come into church life, into, into the orbit of Christianity, and they don't know what's going on. They don't know what God is leading them into. So we've got to ask the important questions. What is going on? Why are things happening that are different? Because when God speaks to us, things happen. My barber up in the high street tells me about things that is happening that are weird in his life. Things happen in my gym at David Lloyd, I'm always having conversations with people in the gym about stuff that's spiritual. Why? Because they're fascinated by it. They can tell you as much as I can tell you about spiritual things. And they don't go to church, they see spiritual things. What's going on? God is bringing spiritual awareness to people, but he wants the truth to come in. So his way is to bring truth and life as well as you know, an, a way forward for people. The way, the truth and life are three things that need to come together. So we've got to ask the question, what is going on? I sat in a wedding once um, and a reception and a couple from the city were next to me and they were retired, but they'd seen so much spiritual stuff and they couldn't make any sense of it. They just thought they were weird, but they weren't weird. They were seeing spiritual things and they just didn't know how to process that. Enter the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God, the reality of who Jesus is. Once we start to understand who he is and what he was doing, we start to see why spiritual things happen. And we start to understand whether things are good or not good. It's a journey. So then we need to acknowledge if we're off track. Are you in the wrong place? Have you, are you just doing things under your own steam? Or is this God, the creator, who wants to intercept your world, have you even let him really talk to you? Have you really ever responded? Have you just gone off track? And um, need to be aware that when God says, when Jesus says, I am the way, it's not just a signpost. It's not just an M25 sign. 
It's not saying, go that way, go through Orpington, you hit the M25 and then down towards Maidstone. That isn't what Jesus is. He's not just a sign up in the clouds. He, the way in the scriptures is about the journey itself. The way is the road you walk on. The way is the actual process of going from A to B. The way is not just doing your own thing, following your own journey, following your own route, but just looking out for a sign here and there, yet doing your own thing. It's actually understanding that the way that Jesus is talking about is the way of life. Not how to get to a destination. It's the way of doing life. And that's where we miss it as, as followers sometimes. We, we do our own thing and then we're looking. We run out of steam and we, we, we think, what's, what's going on? And, and we're just looking for a quick signpost to get ourselves back on track. But that's not what this is about. It's about living with the truth and with the life that Jesus wants to give. So I was snowboarding a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't believe it. On top of this mountain with this couple from America, come all the way to Switzerland to get married, and they decided to get married on top of a mountain. Uh, lovely girl, and I just was—it was just surreal, really. Wearing her snow boots with a wedding dress and flowers, and uh, they came from Minneapolis. But the group I was skiing with—they just decided to photo bomb the situation. And then a little girl who we don't still don't know who she is decided to join the photo. So that was the before and after photo. Um, in fact, it was—it was funny because we thought we could make an entire wedding committee for them. Uh, and I could marry them, in fact, because I'm a minister. So, but it, it didn't hold any water. So anyway, so am I lost? Well, these guys weren't lost, but they, they went out of their way to put themselves somewhere. And I think that's what happens in life. We put ourselves into positions, into places, but God is also putting us, just like this couple, this bunch of people around them in the second photo are believers, apart from the young girl. We don't know who she is. But... This never happened before this moment in time. Could God be creating a picture in your life that he wants to draw people into your world, into your orbit, just to give you the truth so that you're not one of the 40% of Britain that don't have a clue whether Jesus was a real person? You know, we think we're smart in Britain, got great education, and yet we don't know that Jesus was a real person? It's mind-blowing, isn't it? If you're in that situation, then you're lost because you just don't know where, to, where your orbit is. But are we off track? And when I was in Switzerland, there was an, another little thing um, that happened. There's, there's mountain peaks. If you've ever been skiing or snowboarding in, in near Wengen, that you'll know the Schilt Hornets where they made the Bond movie uh, on the Majesty's Secret Service. And as they, you look across from the top, you can see the Eiger on the left and then the Munch and the Jungfrau. But between is this all this cloud. And one day, I've never seen it like this. It was like a thick cloud. And as we went down the mountain, the group, found it very difficult to see. And when you can't see where you're going, you know, one minute in life, you're on top of the mountain, having a party. You can see everything. You can see for miles. You can see what's in front of you. It's all a breeze. It's easy because you can see everything. A few minutes later, you're down in the cloud. You're in a valley and you can't see anything. It's all in the same day. In fact, it's all in the same five or ten minutes. And you're suddenly in a place. Now what happens? What do you do? You could find yourself off track easily. You could find yourself in no man's land. You could find yourself off piste. In fact, I did. And our group, it was so thick, this fog, or this not fog, it was cloud, that um, you couldn't see more than me to the front row there. And we were following, we had to group ourselves with the most experienced at the front. And we followed the person immediately in front of us because it's the only way we we're going to safely get down and carry on with the day. Uh, and so that's why in this church we have small groups because we want people to walk a journey together so that when we're in moments of cloud or you can't see or 
you're being overwhelmed by external factors, you've got someone you can walk with and trust. And that's what God provides. He provides relationships and he provides the right person to guide at the right time. And our job as, as, as people who follow Christ is to be a guide for those who are, who are not clear about where they're going and what's going on. So we've got a big responsibility, but Jesus makes a way where it's impossible. Um, R.C. Sproul, the theologian, said, um, I am the way, this is what Jesus said, because I am the truth and because I am the life. In other words, Jesus attached this elliptical phrase together. He's able to be the way because he is truth and because he is life. But people argue about the truth. They say truth is relative. But actually, I would tell you this, that truth is absolute. There is absolute truth. And I know human beings make laws, and if you're a part of the police service, you'll know that you, you uphold those laws. And not, the laws aren't always brilliant, because they, they just try and keep order. But absolute truth is all about absolute fact about eternity and who Jesus is and who God is himself. And we read and find out about him. It's not relative. It's not subjective to a person's opinion. So if someone says, oh, it's okay for you, you can go to church, you be one of those Christian people, it's, rel- it's not relative. This is absolute. We're talking about ah, Jesus said about himself, I am the way. He didn't say, you can pick and choose and do whatever you like and make up stories about me. He said, I'll tell you who I am. Now, your job is to understand it and process that information and begin to put your trust and start to believe. That's what he said. So the way... Uh, is clear in this sense. I am the Lord, Jesus said, or in fact, God said in Isaiah to the prophet, I am the Lord who opened a way to the waters, making a dry path through the sea. There are times when the way forward is not easily to follow. And God makes a way in our life. So as we come to Christ, as we trust him, he begins to make ways forward, which otherwise you can't see. He makes impossible routes possible. He, He does that deliberately for us. He makes a way of, as we ask the important questions. Um, it says that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Before I ever came to faith in Christ, I was already curious about who he was. Is he true? Is he not true? Does he say the truth? Is he not saying the truth? Etc. In other words, I wrestled with it in my thinking. I wasn't, you know, godly. I was not a good living person. I was an ordinary person who had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself and spiritually felt challenged about who I was. For God is working in you, giving you the desire, but then he also gives you the power. And some people say, well, I could never be a Christian. I could never follow Christ because I'm not good enough. It's not true. It says in the scriptures, he gives you the power to do what pleases him. In other words, he gives you more than you ever brought to the table in the conversation. He gives you more. And so us as followers of Christ, God is wanting to prepare your future and give you more than you ever imagined in terms of the ability to do what God wants you to do. It's an incredible truth. This is the truth. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. This is a warning from Scripture in Proverbs. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. People have God encounters and they go off at tangents and, and maybe sometime in their life they come round to an opportunity to really wrestle with these fundamental questions. But it's the truth and the truth doesn't go away just because we say it's okay for somebody else. The truth is the truth. Now what is the truth? If, we, if we're going to be people who base ourselves on truth, we've got to seek the truth. Find it. We've got to seek the truth. We've got to look for it. The truth is not just in the law. 
In fact, the law is probably the worst place for the truth, actually, because it's just regulations. And by law, I'm talking about laws of the land and social behaviours. The truth is a fundamental thing that God sets up. And, and, uh, and if we can find the truth, we need to stand in the truth. Stand in it or stand for it in your workplaces, in your schools, colleges, amongst your friendships. If you're a follower of Christ, stand for the truth because God will do stuff that you've never dreamed or imagined when you stand in truth with people. He will bring situations and change situations. You don't have to do anything. You just need to be truthful. You just need to be real. You need to be honest about who you are. And then share the truth because the 40% of the British nation who doesn't even know he exists or who, that he was a person, they, how do they know? They don't, they don't even know that he was alive. And yet he was. There's more historical evidence for Christ than any other person in, his, in that age. It's just extraordinary. But, you know, some would say, oh, other religions are the way. You know, there are other leaders. But Jesus said, well, in fact, it's been stated about Jesus that truth separates Jesus Christ from every other lay, leader in every other faith. You know, Muhammad would say, he would say of himself that I'm a prophet of the truth, but he only claimed to teach it. He never claimed to be it. Buddha said at the end of his life, I'm still searching for the truth. Hindu scriptures say truth is elusive. In other words, you can't even find it. Jesus is the only one who said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. Therefore, I am the life. Amazing statements. Jesus wasn't just a teacher. If the teacher said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he has to be more than just a teacher. It's impossible for him not to be. So living in the truth. Now, it's interesting. Some people say, oh, church is boring. Let me tell you, who's got a Facebook account in this room? Who spends time on Facebook or any other social media? Some of you. Well, Mark Zuckerberg has been, look, he's a Jewish guy, actually, by background, and um, he has been amazed by a church in the States called Saddleback Church, which is led by a guy called Rick Warren, a pastor. And he's reported in February this year in Wired magazine as seeing that church is a great model for an online community. And, it, and he's looking to change the way Facebook works to make it more like this church, Saddleback. Why? Because it's full of community. It's full of dif- different ethnic groups. It's full of different interest groups, different ages. It's, it's, it's alive. It's, it's real. It's authentic. It's trustworthy. And he wants Facebook to be a bit, a bit like that, which is kind of interesting, really. So it's, it's interesting that church is getting the attention of these kind of people. And then finally, the life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Jesus wants you to see your prayers answered. He wants you to. His plan is that you will see them. The trouble is we stick our prayers in other agendas. We don't put them into the plan of Jesus Christ. He's already preparing something. And if you start praying against what he's already working on in your life... I don't think you're going to see an answer to prayer there. Uh, it's just the way it is. We've got to be on the way relationally with Jesus, the person who is truth. He is the truth. Therefore, when you're in a quiet moment, when you're in a sticky situation, when you're not quite sure what to do, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ in you, because that's what happens when you follow him, his Spirit comes into you, his living personality starts to become part of who you are. 
you begin to understand the right and the wrong. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about not getting caught. It's about living, realizing that the truth sets you free from being snared up and tied up and constantly covering this, that, and the other, trying not to be ashamed for things because everybody is ashamed of something. But the life God wants to give is authentic. And uh, it's interesting. Why did Jesus say that you will do greater things? Well, here's a simple example. You know, we had a dear friend of ours, a pastor called Abraham from India. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people around the world becoming followers of Christ. In the Middle East, in the Muslim world, there are thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ. I've spoken to them firsthand. I meet them. As Vlad said, I've got a wider role across the network of churches in AOG. But, you know, I'm constantly meeting people from unusual walks of life who are having encounters with Christ and, and who God is. And we have, and Pastor Abraham, who came here last September, we we invited the church, would you like to give an offering towards the work of some of the pastors who are helping bring the way, the truth and the life to the people of North India? 46 bicycles were bought, 2,300 pounds, and that's some of them. And it multiplied the effectiveness of those pastors from just walking between one or two villages to getting around five or ten villages, bringing the life and the light of Jesus Christ into their, into their world. So when God says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the life means that we begin to do and become the essential work of what God is doing. This is why this church has got so much potential. Guys, you have. There are leaders in this church that have not yet become leaders. There are people who've got the ability to draw ministry out of themselves that have not yet done it. There are people who've got incredible uh, fortitude and resilience and prayer ministry and, and capacity. I don't know what it's going to look like. But God is doing it in you, closely to you, empowered by prayer. Why? Because God has got a passion. His desire is that the world will be reached with the truth, not just some theoretical idea that's in the social media or in the press. He wants the truth. So if I can have the band up here this morning. So God's plan is that essential work for his kingdom will be done by those who follow him, that we'd be empowered by him, by his spirit, that we would see prayers answered. Why? So that not only us, but others will have an experience of eternal reward with Christ. That he would be the one that leads us to the Father. You know, I, again, I made reference to this Talking Jesus research. And here it is. 50%, 57% of the population in England consider themselves Christians. But only 9% actually have any faith activity in their life. 40% of the population do not realise that Jesus was a person who actually lived. They've got no encounter with truth. Now, and I'm talking this in an absolute sense. That's 26 million people. Do you think God's got a big plan for this community of believers in this, this place? Do you think God's got a big plan for you and for me? He's got a massive plan. That number is unacceptable. God's heart and desire is to reach every man, woman and child with truth so they experience the way of salvation. They experience the understanding of what real truth is, that it will change them and change people for the better and give them life, and not just life today, but life for eternity. It's a massive thing. And all we've got to do is say yes to Jesus. That's all we've got to do. So let's stand. The guys are going to take us through a song, and then I'll come back up and we'll close the service. But think about this. Where do I stand? Ask yourself the hard question. Before Jesus today, who is He? Do I have my trust in Him? Do I believe in who He said He was? Thank you.